Well, we're coming to the end of our Deeper Life uh, series this week, and would you just join me in thanking uh, Brian Episcopo for all the service and messages he's given. This is the fifth time in about two days that he has spoken to us, so we've, we've learned your heart a little bit, Brian. Thank you for that. And we've learned some of your phraseology a little bit, too, um, like... Is it possible that, or uh, does your theology leave room for, or could it be that God, whatever. So I have a question for you, Brian. Is it possible that you might wear purple instead of red? We would like to give you that opportunity from Crown College just as a little bit of appreciation for being with us. I'll just leave it here. Brian Episcopo. Thank you. Uh, thank you. You guys have been so welcoming and warm and friendly to me all week. And I, I mentioned this last night. I know that I'm like a kind of a squirrely, awkward, socially awkward guy sometimes. For those of you that have talked to me after the stuff is over, you're like, yeah, he's pretty awkward. You guys who haven't talked to me, you don't know. But, um, but I am so thankful how much you guys have just totally accepted me. It really speaks a lot about uh, the community and the culture here uh, present that you've built, is that it's just you belong here and you're welcome here no matter what. And I really hope that whatever God's done in your life this week, uh, that you realize that no matter what it is, uh, you still belong here and, and this place is open arms all the time. So thank you so much. Thank you for the generosity. Um, I, I, uh, didn't, I had a part of my brain that I didn't know I was missing. I was actually born without a part of my brain. I didn't know I was missing it until um, I was in my teenage years. And my sister was the first to point it out. It's the part of the brain that alerts you when you're being flirted with. <laughs> you know, it tells you. See, and she'd have, this happened all the time. She'd be like, hey, Brian, those girls were flirting with you. And I'd be like, no, they're not. They just, they lost their phone number and they needed, oh, no, I see what they did there. Okay. <laughs> I got, and this happened all the time. It kind of drove my wife nuts a little bit too when we first started dating. And it really manifests itself in this one particular incident where I'm out in the water swimming in the ocean in New Jersey at the Jersey Shore. And I'm out there swimming, and this girl, I was about 13, this girl comes up, kind of swims up next to me, and she strikes up a conversation with me. And at one point, she asked me the question. She asked this question. She said, do you surf? Okay. Now, if you want to take notes, now's a good time to do it, because I'm going to tell you what the, right answers, or what the right answer is to this question, okay? There's two real answers to this question. The first one is yes. Now, whether or not you surf or not, this is always the right answer to this question. It does not matter if you surf. Just, I mean, no one's going to be like, prove it. You like, have to whip out a board. No, you just say, ah, oh, my back. I was shredding some 20-footers yesterday, and I couldn't do it. And just lie. It's not a big deal. Just lie about this. So, um, do I need to say I'm just kidding? Okay, I'm just kidding. Yes. But seriously, just lie. It's not a big deal. So, I'm uh, <laughs> kidding. But anyway, the second answer is no, but I, because I'm born without this part of my brain, I came up with a third answer. It's a ridiculous answer. I call this the kill switch, because it just killed every possibility of a potential relationship. Because this is what I said. I, I looked it right in the eye and said, no, but I boogie board. <laughs> Two things horribly wrong with this response. Number one, it reveals that I'm a daft fool who lives in an alternate reality where they're surfing and then there's boogie boarding up here, right? <laughs> like they're surfing. And then the second thing is the award itself. It's such a, like boogie, like boogie. You'll never hear, like Clint Eastwood would say, boogie. You know, you'll never, you'll never see a commercial for a brand new Mercedes-Benz S350 turbocharged boogie. You'll never, you'll ne it's something you pull out of your nose, something your dad does on the dance floor. It's never cool. It's never a cool thing. And 
So <laughs> it totally killed that. And actually what happened is she, she, this was her response. She goes, oh, and then she swims away really fast. <laughs> and she looks over her shoulder because apparently people like to boogie. will chase, I don't know, will chase people. <laughs> so if you, hey, listen, if you're really offended right now about, because you think boogieing is cool, you like to boogie, I'm sorry, this is just not your college. This is just not for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, no, no I'm joking. Uh, I, this, is, this is true. I'll tell you where this also props up in my life personally, is there are times in my faith where I feel like that's all I can say about an aspect of my faith, where I know surfers out there who are killing it in this particular area of faith, and I'm, I'm just a boogie boarder. I feel like that sometimes. I feel like I need to substantiate this particular aspect of my walk with Jesus, and I'm like, I, I'm just a boogie boarder. And, and this, is, this is the area that I want to talk about today, is, is serving and loving others, uh, loving your neighbor. There, we all know people who are surfers in this area. Like, they, like, they're awesome at it. These are the people who just, they volunteer all the time, or they're always, they're, they're so generous, they're just exceedingly generous. And for those of us out there, I'm going to take my have-it-all-together pastor mask off for a second. I'm going to be honest, for those of us normal people out there, we hear sermons like this, or we, we, we hear about this kind of topic, and we go, ah, yeah, I could do more. I, I really should do more. I want to. I, just, I, I used to. I used to do more. I got busy, and, and life got crazy. I pay tuition now, so I can't give as much. I, I, have, all, I have a lot of busyness in my life. I'm, I'm working on I can't go and do the kind of volunteering I used to do. And I just, I, I always, I hear this, and I go, I hear this, and I go, I'm, I, sh- I could do more. In this particular area, this is what, what's happened. The surfers in this area have asked themselves and answered a, a very important question. This, this question is they've wrestled with it and they've answered it. And, and I will tell you that if you're willing today to go to lunch and to wrestle with this together with your peers or you're willing to talk about this question and you're really willing to wrestle with it honestly, um, it's going to do a couple things. Number one is it's going to start to change your view of the world. It's going to start to change uh, your world itself. It'll start to change other people's worlds around you. If you're really willing to wrestle with this question and deal honestly with it, it's going to start to, it's going to, start to move you from comfort to discomfort. It'll be better, um, but it, it's not going to be more comfortable per se. And this is the question. This, this is the question. What breaks your heart? What, what breaks your heart? Now, even as I ask that right now, I know there's people in the room who've wrestled with this and and they've answered it, and so maybe it's heavy right now. Even right now, it's emotional because it does. There's things that break your heart, but but maybe there's some of us that are going, you know, I, gosh, I, I don't know what what breaks my heart. I mean, I feel bad for stuff. You know, I'll troll through my Facebook news feed, I'll see things, and I I feel bad, but I I feel pity. I just don't I just don't know what what breaks my heart. What that thing is, or what that. That, that, that thing is that ministry or whatever. I don't know what it is that really breaks my heart. I feel bad, see stuff on the news, but I don't know what breaks my heart. And what's the difference? Let's just, let's just deal with that for a second. What's the difference between just feeling pity and feeling bad and actually having heartbreak? What's the difference? Well, this is the difference. The difference between feeling pity and feeling bad it was when you have a heartbreak for something, when your heart breaks for something, it is less comfortable, believe it or not, it's in some crazy way, and you, some of you know this, it's less comfortable for you to do nothing than to do something about it, right? This is, you, you just go, man, oh gosh, my heart just breaks. I can't just do nothing anymore. I can't just, it is less comfortable for me to do nothing than to do something. I have to do something about this. 
This is the difference between just feeling pity and feeling bad and having your heart broken over something. Question, Pastor Brian, what, what, what's going on in my heart if I don't know what it breaks for or if it does not break for others like that? That's the question I want to deal with today. What's wrong with our heart if it does not break for others like this? What, what is going on in there? And we're going to deal with this in Luke chapter 10. And uh, Jesus is having a confrontation with a Jewish leader, a re- teacher of the law. And he's having this confrontation with them. And I want to pick it up in verse 25 and just go. So he's having this, Jesus is uh, talking to this guy. It says, verse 25, one day an expert, Jewish expert in religious law, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's a kind of a weird question because, you, you know, the person who does the work builds the inheritance and just, you're born. You're just given it. So I don't, it's kind of a weird question. You don't really do anything to get inheritance. The other person did the work. You just get it. But either way, that's uh, the question. Jesus goes with it. He says, well, what does the law say about it? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And on top of all that, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's just unpack that for a second. If I came up to you and I said, I love the Minnesota Vikings with all of my heart. You would be, a lot of you, maybe, I don't know, if, I, if you hypothetically love the Minnesota, you'd be like, yeah, cool, me too. Welcome to Crown. Welcome to Minnesota. That's what we're about here. You'd be excited about that. But what if I said, I said, no, no, wait, I love the Minnesota Vikings with all of my heart and all of my mind. You would say, well, you know, I, I think about them sometimes, you know, at work. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, thinking about like, this game and stuff. Yeah, and I said, no, no, no. I love the Minnesota Vikings with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my strength. <laughs> I quivered like this. And you would say, uh, you know what? I don't know what that means, but I'm not sure I want to find out. I, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but that's weird. That's getting kind of weird. And then I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I love, the, I love the Minnesota Vikings with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my strength, and all of my soul. <laughs> you would say... I'm sorry, I just missed that last part. I was dialing, I was calling the police. Um, I missed that last part because you're a Looney Tune. And, and you would be like, I'm, I, that's weird. I don't even know what soul love is. I don't know how you give soul love. We're done here, friendship over. That's what you would say. But this is what, this is what, this is what God doesn't say, according to you know, the teacher of the law here. He didn't say, let me you know, think about me sometimes. You know, give, me some of your, give me some sweat every now and then. And uh, you know, make sure there's some feelings sometimes. It didn't, God doesn't say that. This is for eternal life, apparently. And then, and then there's something else to it. It's your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means when you get up in the morning, when your alarm clock goes off, you're thinking about your neighbor's hopes, your neighbor's dreams, their goals, their agenda, their schedule, their family, as much as you think about your hopes, your dreams, your goals for the day, and your family. I mean, think about that. Like, every day you get up and you're excited about your day, your goals, your hopes, your dreams, and you're also equally excited about your neighbor's hopes, dreams, goals, family. That's, that's big. I mean, that's that's a big, have you met my neighbor? I mean, you know, like, this, that's a lot of, of love for my neighbor. So this is, what, this is what Jesus says back to that, right? This is what Jesus says. And I just picture him doing this. I picture him going, yep, that's right, and walking away. And, and I just picture the, uh, the, the, the teacher of the law, wait, 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 Jesus, just wait, to, to justify myself here. Um, well, who, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? 
And, and this is really what he's at. Because, I mean, at this time, their neighbors were usually family members, you know, relative, you live for safety, you live close to family. So you, it's relatively easy to love your neighbor if it's literally your neighbor in your path and your way. And, and so, because you're your family, and so, you know, try to justify, I'm, I'm on the right path here. In a sense, he's asking, what's the bare minimum? You know, like, do we do this with, with God sometimes? Like, okay, time to go to chapel, time to hear, okay, what's the bare minimum of what I'm supposed to do with whatever this guy is saying or this girl is saying? What, what's the bare minimum? Just to check it off the, what, what's the bare minimum here, Jesus, when it comes to loving your neighbor and eternal life and all that? What's the bare minimum? This is how Jesus replies. He replies with a story. And I'll, I'll tell you what, to get this story, what I have to do to tell this right if, if, I wanna, if we want to bring this story alive today, if we want to bring it into our world, uh, I have to put you in the skin of the audience. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to try to put you in the skin of the audience. This, the audience for this passage is the teacher of the law. He's a Jewish teacher of the law. So I'm going to put you in his eyes, and, and, and I want you to feel what he was feeling. To get the full weight of this, I'm going I'm to try to bring it into our context. So I'm going to tell it a little differently here. But let's do this together. Here we go. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, so if the audience is Jewish, if the teacher of law is Jewish, this guy's Jewish, so uh, same person. So we'll just say crown student. Um, I'll just use that. A crown college student was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This was a, it was a well-traveled path, um, but it was very dangerous. It was, it, the, the way in which it was geographically situated, top, topographically diverse, uh, this was a very dangerous, easy to hide and ambush people. So it was actually gave it a nickname. It was called the Bloody Way. This is, this is kind of the path. It's a bloody way. So it's the bad part of town, bad part of Minneapolis, we'll say. So a crown college student was traveling through the bad part of Minneapolis, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Some context there. Stripping of the clothes, that's kind of just adding the fact they took everything he had. So he must have been carrying everything he had, and they took everything. He's a poor college student. They took it all. I mean, he, just, he has nothing left anymore. And he's half dead, which basically the author is saying he's pretty much dead. I mean, he's, for all intensive purposes, he's dead. It's over. I mean, he's not, not there yet, but he's, he's going to die. It's, it's pretty much over. So keep going here. 31. By chance, a priest, so a, a leader in this community, this, so I'll, I'll just use a, a crown college professor, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, so a crown ministry student leader, uh, walked over, looked at the crown student laying there, and also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. You thought this was about the good Samaritan. It's, it's the, the despised Samaritan. Now, to tell this right, um, again, to get you into the skin, to make you feel the way of this, it should be a little offensive. It should be a little uncomfortable, not for sensationalizing this, but, but just to feel the, what this, this audience was feeling um, the despised Samaritan. This is the person that the Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They were, there was even like a sexual deviance to them because they were mixed in with Jews. And there was like, they were, the, they were not only just these outcasts, but they were like enemies. These guys were fighting and debating all the time. These were the enemies. These were, in the Jews' mind, the people farthest from God, okay? They were the people farthest from God that you think have the longest way to go to get to God and their enemies. So these Samaritans were people who were fighting and against the Jews, but people are against the Jews. So in your mind, whatever this is for you, I don't know what it is for you. At Crown College, a faith community like this, uh, who are, is typically in society the enemies of a faith community like this? Who would it be? Um, whatever that is, and, and whatever you think maybe would, people would be farthest from God, drug dealers, gangsters, whether the, the homosexual agenda, whatever it is, if you think that those are the things, whatever it is for you, whatever you think is the enemy, that, that they feel like we're enemies or they're against us or they're the farthest from God, whatever that is for you, you need to put that 
into the despised Samaritan spot. So I'm going to read it. I'll, I'll go with a drug dealer. So then a, a drug dealer, a gangster, came, came along, and he saw the crown student, and he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the drug dealer soothed his wounds, bandaged him up. He put him in his car and took him to a hospital where he paid for three days of care. The next day, the innkeeper, uh, or no, he said the next day he handed uh, the innkeeper three days worth of care uh, for that, the hospital, telling him, take care of this crown student. If his bill runs higher, there should be some Obamacare that should kick in. I mean, there's got to have a program for this. I've done, I mean, three days of care at a hospital. This, I put in my car, he got my car. I mean, I, I, you have something for him, right? I can only cover him three days. It's just, I, I did my part. No, I didn't say that. If his bill runs higher, I got it. Implication. If he, if he's, until he's well, if his bill runs higher, until he's, I'm going to keep covering it. Now, for anyone here who's ever, and I want to be very sensitive when I say this because it's very, very possible for so many. If you ever had to care for somebody who's had a near death or was half dead or, or had a very traumatic accident, usually it takes a very long time, if not the rest of their life. There are needs and there is stuff to care for. Usually if you're that close to death, usually this is something that the rest of their life you will be caring for. This is very, very expensive. This is almost endlessly expensive. Jesus finishes here. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The teacher of the law replies, the one who. He can't even say his name. That is how far and despised, that's how far these people were from God. He can't even say the name. It's just, it's just the, one who, it's the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. This is incredibly inconvenient. This is person is not on the way. This, this hospital is not on the way to where this, per, this Jewish leader is going. He's not on the way. He goes out. Of, it's incredibly inconvenient. This is so demoralizing, this parable, because it's so expensive. It's almost endlessly expensive. And it's messy. It's, if you've ever, I mean, again, to be, if you, just to be real, if you ever had to care for somebody who's been near death, I mean, it's, it's messy. There's fluids. You're gonna get, it's going to get on you. This is a really messy, awkward thing. And yet, it's, that's, what, that's what Jesus says is a good neighbor. Now listen, what was the original question? You remember the original question? What, what must we do to inherit eternal life? What breaks your heart? No, nothing like that. No, nobody like, no one breaks my heart like that. I, I've never responded like that. And Jesus agrees that that's what it takes to get eternal life. And remember, this is the, this is the bare minimum. That was the question. What's the, what's the bare minimum? This is the bare minimum for eternal life? And, and then I, I always wondered this. I always wondered this. Why did Jesus make the despised Samaritan the hero of the story? Why did he do that? Is Jesus just intellectually sparring with some Pharisee, and this is how he kind of one-ups them? Like, he's, like, thinking about who's going to be the hero. I mean, even if he just chose the priest, we would all still be stand- sitting here right now going, yeah, this is incredibly high standard. But he adds this hero of the story is the person who's farthest from God in the minds of the audience. 
Why would he do that? Is he just, is he petty? Is, God, is Jesus threatened by this? So he just builds this huge story up and then throws that on top just to like beat him down. Does Jesus ever teach? Does Jesus ever teach in a way to beat someone down? Does he ever teach in a way to like hit you and then bam and then leave? Does Jesus teach like that? Is that what the heart of Jesus is about? If the answer is no, then we need to look into what is the deeper meaning? Why this despised Samaritan as the hero of this story? What is the deeper meaning? At some point, you begin to realize this. That not only is the minimum standard so far from where any of us are at, for eternal life. But we are farther from it than the people in our minds who are farthest from God. We are not only, not only is the standard so impossibly high, but we are farthest from the people who we think are the farthest from God. And so all of a sudden, this is what happens in the mind of the audience. This is what happens as you hear this in, that, in, in the skin of this guy. This parable begins to shift for you. This parable totally begins to shift upside down. You're no longer putting yourself in the story as the hero. You are as hopeless and as helpless as the guy on the side of the road bleeding out. When it comes to eternal life, you are as helpless as the guy on the side of the road bleeding out. And you are just waiting for someone to come by and pick you up, clean you up, and take you to the hospital and pay your debt over and over and over again. What is the look on the face of the good Samaritan as he comes by? What, what is it when, when you're waiting for Jesus, really, when it comes to eternal life, to just pick you up? If that's the standard, gosh, if that's the standard, we're just waiting for Jesus to come by. And what's the look on his face when he sees us? Filled with compassion. Interesting. That, that phrase appears five chapters later. In a, in a parable about a son returning home to his father. Let me, let me put it this way, filled with compassion. Another good phrase for that is a broken heart. You ever think about that? You, th you think about that, that you break God's heart, that right now as you wrestle with this question in your head, God, I'm wrestling right now with what breaks my heart. And if you were to just in a cosmic conversation turn and be eyeball to eyeball with God and say, God, what breaks your heart? He would look you right back in the eye and he would say, you do. You break my heart. I couldn't just stay up there and do nothing. I had to come down. I had to come down. I had to do something about it because you, you break my heart. I love you. I had to do something about this. You break my heart. Question, what is wrong with our hearts if it does not break for other people? We do not realize how broken we are and how much we break God's heart. I want to end with this. The, um, the, na nationally, it's, it's statistically that the, the poorest people in our country, uh, percentage-wise, outgive the wealthiest all the time. This happens all the time. Why is that? I had a student in our youth group who was 
uh, who was, he was, he was literally dying of cancer. I mean, this, he, he's miraculously been healed. I mean, like the, the stuff, supernatural stuff that, you know, we think only happens in Africa. I, before my own eyes, this actually, he's supernaturally healed. But, but at the time he was dying of, of cancer. And, and as he's dying, he's has, he's going through a fundraiser. They're trying to raise support for him. And he insists that he, it'd be all about the other people that need a bone marrow transplant, which is what he needed. He insists that we raise money for people. We raise awareness for people and we try to get donors for people who need bone marrow transplants just like me. What? That is crazy. You're the one that's dying. You're the one that's hurt. Why are you so concerned about other people? Why is that a big deal to you? You're the one that's hurt. Why? It's because hurt people help people. Hurt people help people. If you think, I gotta get my act together, I gotta put my life together before I can really... No, actually the opposite. The day that you stop realizing how bad you need a good Samaritan yourself, the day you get up in the morning and your heart is not heavy with the fact of how big God's grace is for you, that moment is the day that your heart stops to break for everybody else lying out on the side of the road broken. You see, you can't be a good Samaritan until you realize how badly you need a good Samaritan. Um, these are, uh, these are some trophies from when I was, uh, played soccer growing up as a kid. And, uh, I bring them up here with me, uh, when I get nervous. So they help remind me that I'm important. <laughs> Seriously. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, these are my trophies and... Um, growing up as a kid, I had these on my mantle. People, like when people would, you know, come to see the house or whatever, they'd walk by my room and they'd see all these trophies. I had a lot of them, a lot more of these. I did, I promise. But that would put them all out. And people would walk by and they'd be like, whoa, you're awesome. And I'd be like, I know. I am pretty awesome. <laughs> trophies, proven it, Captain Obvious. And... And, and they would walk by, they'd see these. But up until last week, these uh, were in a box in my parents' basement, collecting dust. Just, just collecting dust for 10 years. And uh, now they'll be in, they're gonna be in my basement where my wife will throw them away to make room for Christmas decorations. <laughs> but this is what's at stake. If you go your whole life, and you don't wrestle with this question. You don't really lean in and wrestle with this question. This is what's at stake. You'll go your whole life. You guys are very smart, talented, wonderful people. You're gonna make some trophies. You're gonna win some games. But those trophies, at the end of your life, they will wind up in a box collecting dust. If you do not wrestle with this question of what breaks my heart, and even more, what God breaks your heart, if you don't wrestle with that question, you will wind up making a bunch of trophies that will wind up in a box one day collecting dust. This is what's at stake. Listen, if you hear this parable today, and you're hearing it, and you're thinking to yourself, I just need to stand up out of the seat. I need to go out and try harder to love people. You totally missed the parable. You've completely missed the parable. You can't, that is a works-based theology that Jesus has just proven that you are so far removed from. What you need to do is we need to stand up, we need to go out, and we need to ask God every minute for a new heart. 
We need to ask him for a heart change, that our heart be his heart and it break for the things that break his heart. We cannot just listen to this parable. The purpose of this is not that this guy heard it, walked away and just tried harder. That is not what this parable is about. It's about getting on our knees and saying, God, break my heart for the things that break yours because I do not love people with this heart the way that you love people with your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you break collectively Crown's heart. I just pray that as one heart, one unified heart, it just breaks over the people out there that you break for and in here that you break for. God, I pray that, uh, that, that, that that would be motivated and driven by the crushing weight of your heart breaking for us and nothing else. Not guilt, not shame, nothing else but your love. God, I lift all this up in your holy and powerful name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you.